today we have with us a pretty incredible guest. This guest hiked Eastern Continental Trail, but what makes her hike unique? I'd like to welcome Lolo Sparkle, as she's known as her trail name, Velez, to Papa Bear Hikes. Lolo, welcome to Papa Bear Hikes. Hey, Martin. Thanks for having me. So I read your story and you know, anytime I read about people hiking these longer trails, it always grabs my attention, always has since I was a little kid. But when I read your story, I said, okay, this is a little bit more than somebody just hiking from Key West, Florida, up to Newfoundland, Labrador, Canada. You know, and before we get further into this, we're talking about a trail here that is, I believe, was it 4,400 miles, which is 7,100 kilometers. And it's a connect, it basically is a, a series of trails that connect that start in Key West, Florida, as I said, and go all the way north. Lola, tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, yeah. So um, the Eastern Continental Trail is actually 5,600 miles oh, going so I'm, up I'm to Newfoundland. Something. I'm reading something <laughs> <It's>, old then. <laughs> yes. So it's actually about 4,800 miles if you stop at Quebec, but Canada has these lovely islands you can continue on to on the International Appalachian Trail, and that goes all the way to Newfoundland. And it's about 5,600 miles, but the exact total is unknown to me at this point I did not keep track of uh, mileage or anything I really just try to be um, in the moment but um, yeah I'm I'm your typical hiker trash I was born in Mexico and I emigrated to the U.S. when I was around six or seven years old I live in Denver now um, and I basically started through hiking uh once I lost my job, I got laid off in 2020 and uh, didn't realize how bad things were going to be. Yet. I just knew I had time and money to go hike, started hiking um, on the Colorado Trail. And uh, when I finished that, I loved it so much that when I got home, it was all I could think about. Uh, so about a month later, I hopped back on and I hiked it the other way. Um, and that was kind of the start of my obsession, I guess. So this year I tried to do something that um, very few people had done, uh, but I wasn't aware until almost the end of it that I was actually going to become the first woman to ever complete the Eastern Continental Trail from the Keys to uh, Newfoundland, Canada. And I think I was number seven overall to have ever done it. Um, right now, uh, my friend Trucker was eighth. My friend Peg Lake, who is doing a weird kind of flip-flop and is in Florida now, she's she'll be ninth. And there is a sobower. I think he's actually the first ever sobower named Rory, and he'll be 10th. So yeah, it's not a real popular trail. Not a lot of people have done it. And uh, it's just a modge podge of different trail systems that you link all the way up the East Coast. So uh, I hadn't spent a lot of time in the East Coast at all. Um, so I knocked out several states and uh, got a really, really good feel for what the East Coast was um, was offering. So, mm -hmm. Yeah, because you're starting in the Florida Keys and you're crossing a lot of different air, you know, not just state to state. Oh, yeah. What you're seeing in Florida, uh, environment wise, is far, far different than what you're even going to start to experience in Georgia when you get to the next state, never mind when you get to the end up in Canada. Oh, it was like going through different um, planets almost. Uh, the Florida Trail, I've never experienced anything or anywhere like the Florida Trail. It was Jurassic Park going through there. And then immediately once you hit the start of the Appalachian Mountains, it just goes from like this wild prehistoric kind of vibes to you know green tunnels and mountains again and and basically once you get to Quebec you hit the ocean again so it's kind of a full circle moment there you're like oh my gosh I haven't seen the beach since January but um yeah I started my hike January 24th and I ended it on October 25th so it wasn't just the 
you know, terrain changing, but I, I went through every season, like mm -hmm. the full season, uh, you know, winter, spring, it was, that was probably the hardest part. Cause you know, I had to have gear for everything I needed. I had to, you know, race against winter, trying to finish up in Canada. I mean, by October, it was getting pretty dicey up there, especially on the islands with those winds and rain. So, um, yeah, from start to end, it was a, a rat race of sorts. Um, I knew I had to average at least 20 miles a day every day to get to Quebec before the hunting season cut off, which was why I was on such a big time crunch, um, for the entire trail and that and it getting unreasonably cold in, in Canada was just, you know, I could never take my foot off the gas pretty much. I can imagine I live in upstate New York and I know by the end of October, winter was already knocking on the door here. You know, you oh, have yeah. some warm days, <laughs> but you know, you'd go out in the morning and you say, okay, winter's not that far off. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, um, I, this year was, I, I feel very validated in this, but this year was the highest recorded rain on the AT. So this was officially the wettest year I could have possibly hiked the East coast. And that alone brought its own set of challenges. Um, I am not a rain friendly hiker. It is my absolute, I'm miserable in the rain. So I had to really push through, um, and when it wasn't raining, the trail was muck. So it was, it was, it was a tough year for the AT. I'm, I'm really, really excited and proud that there were so many people that finished this year, but this was definitely a, a tough year for all the trails. Uh, you know, the PCT got hammered with snow, the CDT, people couldn't get around Colorado and then the AT. I mean, we were just drowning. So <laughs> tough year all around. Speaking of a tough year, there was a very difficult month in this area, New York, Vermont, you know, that corridor there going all the way up into Maine in July, there was torrential rain. I was in the Adirondacks and ended up cutting my trip short because of how much rain there was. Where were, do you recall where you were like in mid July? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's one of those, where were you during nine <laughs> 11 kind of things? Right. Yeah. So I was just getting into uh, New Jersey, New York, um, when the flooding started going really, really south, um, there was notifications on far out that were, uh, from the AT advising people to just skip Vermont altogether. And that was as I was heading into Vermont. <laughs> so, you know, it was, it was, uh, it was a gamble to keep going, but I found there was enough workarounds for the, the trouble spots. Um, this is not a purist redline hike that's something that a lot of people that I met on the AT just didn't understand um I think especially if you're, it's your first trail you want to follow this this red line all the way up and the ECTs just simply does not have an official trail kind of like the CDT there's so many different options but um but yeah I just kind of had to adjust my own expectations a little bit and um know that you know, my, my goal was to hike a continuous hike, um, continuous footsteps from at least border to border initially. And I wasn't sure how far I was going to make that. And then when I got to Quebec, um, you know, you have to take a ferry to go to the other islands. So I really had to give that up. Like I'm taking a whole boat, there's travel involved. Now you're commuting to a whole different um, provinces. So yeah, it was, it was just something that I, you know, had to, had to figure out a lot of it was on the fly. A lot of it was, uh, getting there and finding out, oh, I can't walk through this. I have to figure out a way around right now. And the IAT is still very much developing, but there was parts of like near the border that it was in full bog mode. I called the border agents to let them know I was crossing over at the border and, um, they advised me not to go uh, through that because it was, uh, to me, it would have been up to my chest water and I was not prepared to go through another swamp <laughs> after Florida. So um, yeah, it was just kind of touch and go, but it just kind of made the best of it. I made sure I turned down any rides offered. It was very hard, but mm -hmm. yeah, we did yeah. it. Unlike the Florida trail or the AT, it's not like you can just open up gut hook or 
oh, it's far out now or go on and ask, mm-hmm. right? It's, yeah. And, you know, I'm going to say this to you. You know, you said, oh, I didn't just follow a red line to get up there. Your goal was to hike from Key West, Florida to the end of Canada. You did that. <laughs> yeah. You're not yeah, claiming exactly. I'm, doing a, I'm doing a step-by-step, blaze-by-blaze AT through hike. Yeah. And, and this year you couldn't. It just simply you couldn't. I got to Bear Mountain. That was closed. I had to walk all the way around the park that was normally bustling with people was completely abandoned. I didn't get to go through that cool terranium animal reptile exhibit, um, which is the one, you know, <laughs> regret. But uh, yeah, there was a lot of parts that were just simply rerouted. They just weren't passable. So um, you just kind of had to adjust and make do and kind of let go of that purism kind of thought process. Like, uh, for Newfoundland, they, I call it gut hooks too. It's a hard thing to get rid of, but um, they just came out a couple of days ago with the map for Newfoundland and Labrador. Um, so I literally be gut hooks to the punch here. Um, I was using a GPX file, uh, same with Alabama. You have a big road walk. You just use a GPX file, but there's no map as you're going through Montgomery. So you just kind of choose your own adventure there. Um, and that is the official adventure is choose your own. So, well, I always see, you know, the real definition of, of an adventure is the unknown, right? Stepping outside your comfort zone, stepping outside of being able to just look at your app and say, okay, where do I go tomorrow? Where am I getting groceries in two or three days when I run out of food? We'll be back after a quick break. You ever think about what might be in the water you're drinking every time you fill up your water bottles while you're in the outdoors? I try not to, and I really don't because I use Sawyer water filters. Sawyer filter technology, because of their high standards, every filter is individually tested three times through the process. I've been using their permethrin product for years now to protect me from, well, quite frankly, ticks and the picaridin to keep the flies at bay. Don't let bad water insects or a tick bite cut your trip short or even ruin it. Use Sawyer products. Go to your local outdoor retailer and ask for Sawyer products, whether it's a water filter, insect repellent, they'll likely to have it. You can also go to Sawyer's website and read more about these incredible high quality products that they offer those of us who enjoy the outdoors. Yeah, that's something that's, um that was kind of unique to this height in the past um for let's say the colorado trail i have spreadsheets i have you know resupply plans i have all of this kind of mapped out but i decided to do this hike like a month before i went out there and 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 did it uh i knew the appalachian trail had enough resources to where i could definitely wing it had enough towns um but everything else it was just uh day by day just trying to yeah where's my next water where's my next food it wasn't something I could plan out too far ahead I just knew that I wanted to average at least 140 miles a day uh, a week um so that was just all I planned for like a minimum of 140 150 and I knew that if I hit that in that week I was good for my for my Quebec hunting timeline so Mm -hmm. yeah and it's a shame you missed Bear Mountain because I, mean, I might be partially I grew up not far from there. Uh, but yeah, going through that zoo is kind of cool. Uh, I brought a group of kids through there once on a backpacking trip. And I said, okay, look, there's bears in a cage. I said, you can go home now and say you saw bears on your hike. <laughs> there you go. I love, I love that. I love that you did that. I met a couple of uh, groups, like guided groups of, I, I'm so bad at guessing kids' ages, but I want to say they were in like the 10 to 12 kind of age range, like old enough to be able to ask questions. But I got stopped by two different um you know, hike leaders that were like, hey, are you hiking the, you know, AT? And I, I'm just like, well, actually, <laughs> a little bit more to that. And I mean, just the way that kids hype you up, there's nothing that compares. They were like, what? You did what? Do you wear that every day? And, you know, just the questions that they would ask aren't the normal um, banter that you get when you meet some you know, just another hiker on trail or a day hiker or something. And it was just, it was so fun. And it's just really nice to see like kids are getting more outdoors and just this community really opening up um, to more and more people. But yeah, I mean, I think the, 
the best thing that I can help others do is get outdoors because the outdoors has completely changed my life, saved my life, made it what it is. And I, I would just love to have other people experiencing that too. Well, I'm, I'm really happy to hear that because I could tell you from my own experience, you become a rock star with those kids because they, they don't, <laughs> they'll talk about it for days and even afterwards, how they met this person who was hiking all the way from Georgia, or in your case, all the way from Key West, Florida, and not going to stop <laughs> until you got to Canada. And when somebody like yourself takes the time to talk to them uh, and, and just, you know, be a kind person to them, it really goes so far. And I think it enhances their outdoor experience and maybe motivates them. Yeah, I think it was also um, important to me to stop because, you know, when you're trying to do a 20 mile average on an entire through hike, it's not just 20 miles a day. I mean, I was hiking a minimum of like 25 plus to keep that 20 mile average with my days off and stuff. So it was kind of hard, like whenever people would want to stop and talk, like I just, I'm like, I got to go, you know, I got to go. Like I can't. Um, but when I, when I saw those kids, I was like, yeah, oh my gosh, there are girls in this group. It's a really diverse bunch of kids. Like I really just wanted to give them as much time as I, as I could. But um, I think it's really powerful for them, for kids to see a solo woman uh, out in nature with one backpack. And she's telling you she's been doing this for multiple months at this point. Um, and I hope that stuck with them, but yeah, I mean, it's just like the representation, at least. Um, I'm Mexican. I'm really proud of that. Uh, and this year I saw, I kept track, um, but less than 20 people uh, of color that were hiking the trail. Um, and I went through so many different trail systems. I went for 10 months almost. And for that number to be so small and you know, just so like, I can count on my fingers and toes, like it, it was, it just really reminded me of why it's important for me to stop and talk and share my experience, because I didn't see people that look like me, I didn't see, you know, a lot of hikers that were just represented in the community, really. And I think companies are good now about, uh, you know, showing more diversity and trying to become more inclusive but um I do think we still have a long way to go and I just hope like you know this podcast and my story can reach people and and I don't know it a whole lot of Mexican hikers to be honest so yeah I, and I've talked about this and why it's important for you know people of your background to talk about this because you know I've had a lot of women hikers on. I have had members of the LGBTQ plus community on. I've had hikers on of color. And there may be that one kid out there that relates to you and your story that maybe can turn around and say, well, I can do it too. Yeah, that's, that's all I really wanted. Um, another big piece of this for me was I have a an inflammatory disease called endometriosis and with this it's a little bit of a death sentence there's no cure they don't know why this happens um, but it affects one in ten people with uteruses um, so it's really really like a large percentage um, of people that have this that just go completely unrepresented and a big thing of this is that it comes with a lot of pain. It's regarded as one of the top 10 most painful conditions that you can have. So to be able to stay active and be outdoors in itself was a huge privilege. It came with like a lot of, you know, just pushing through it. People don't really know that when they look at me because it's not a visible disease. It's something that's very invisible and chronic and, and just it's, it's happening to me, but people don't, you can't see it. You can't tell that I have that going on. Um, and I just, I got diagnosed in 2019 and I joined a whole lot of support groups and I started asking like, does it do it? Do any of you guys hike? And almost every answer was, no, like I, I can't, I don't, I don't have the strength to do that. I can't deal with my period on trail. 
um, a lot of those issues. So for me, it was important as well, just as someone who, who has endometriosis to um, kind of spread awareness for it. Cause I didn't get diagnosed until I was almost 27 and I had had problems that were to me a really clear uh, signal that that's what was going on, but it's just so unknown and not a lot of people just have even heard about it um, that it took me a really, really long time. On average, it's a 10 year wait for someone to get the correct diagnosis. Cause you really have to cut someone open and, and look in to see what's going on. There's no real other way. It doesn't, didn't show up on ultrasounds for me. Um, I had many exams and I was just getting medically gaslit left and right. But when I found out I had this, um, I adjusted my diet and my health and just made it a point to stay active because so much of my life, I just felt like I was lazy because I didn't have energy. I was just experiencing constant chronic fatigue and chronic pain and when you feel like crap all the time, it's really hard to, you know, get out and do stuff. So, um, yeah, it was, it took a lot of pushing, uh, just pushing myself, just telling myself pain is temporary and, and we'll get through it. But, um, that was a big, big accomplishment for me because when I first started getting into backpacking, I, that was the thing I was most scared of. Like, how am I going to deal with my period on trail or how am I going to deal with all the symptoms that I experience on trail? Um, and you just work around it. I am ultralight because I have chronic pelvic pain, so I can't carry a whole lot of weight. I am a sub 10 pound base weight, you know, and that, and that helps with obviously just getting like less stuff on my back. And, um, I know I have to do faster hikes because I have to time things around my period. And, um, so yeah, it was really tricky, but that was another big piece of my hike that, um, that I, I did struggle a lot with. And uh, it's not something that people really would know or notice about me unless I said something. So, mm -hmm. yeah. And it's important. And I always respect people for bringing attention to these situations because doctors do what they can, but we, we hear a lot of stories where, you know, people are going to the doctor and pretty much being told, well, you know, exercise more, lose a few pounds, oh, you know, become it, more oh, active. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I had multiple trips, um, to urgent cares. I went to the ER once the pain was so bad and, um, they just said I was having a bad period and gave me ibuprofen, but I was blacking out from the amount of pain I was in, um, which is why I went to the ER. So, um, yeah, it's, it's really, really tough because, People don't believe women when they say how much pain they're in. We often have like kind of a skewed pain scale as it is, but my pain scale is very, very rough. I operate on a constant like four, three or four. Like that's my daily. I'm in just a little bit of pain every single day. But around, you know, my period, I get a week before really horrible symptoms similar to IBS. I get um, really nauseous. Um, the estrogen gives me headaches. Um, and then I deal with a sometimes like five to 10 day period. That's absolutely ridiculous. Most people's are about four days ish, give or take. Um, so mine are over a week long sometimes. So dealing with that every day while you're on trail, um, it's so, it's so tough. And I could see why it would feel impossible to many people with this. Um, I have somewhere between stage one and stage two, but the stages don't necessarily represent the amount of pain that you experience. There's people with stage one that have way more pain with, than people with stage three. So, um, but it's overall, it's just very disruptive. And it's something that I had to constantly think about um, because my diet is a huge part of inflammation and, and dealing with inflammation. Yet I was going through places like Florida that were food deserts and my only resupply options were gas stations. So there was just no way for me to avoid the foods that trigger the inflammation. So there was just constantly something that I was I was dealing with in the background, um, on top of your normal through hiking things. Um, but yeah, I knew if I could do this, I, I don't know if I can do this, I can do anything. So it was, yeah. Yeah. Because you're in pain just 
in your daily life, but then you know I'm going out on this adventure. I mean, that just adds a whole nother dimension, at least. I mean, I can't relate to it, obviously, but to the stress level in your preparation, what was that like preparing leading up to it? I mean, you know, you've got your normal preparation, right? Physically, I've got to be in proper shape. I need to know where my food supplies and water sources are and bailout points if I get off the trail. But for you, what was that process like? What what did this add to that preparation for your, your journey? Um, well, it added several ounces because I had to carry a, a pair of period underwear. Um, my menstrual cup stayed with me the whole trip. Um, you know, just a couple of extra things. I had to carry extra wet wipes and things like that as far as just actual um, gear and supplies that I would need. I just had to be on top of on top of that, um, I'm also a cold soaker because I'm a true masochist. And um, a lot of it was also just kind of experimenting with foods that I could cold soak um, to see if they were cold soakable <laughs> and uh, just kind of figure out basically what if I'm going to a gas station, what are my safe foods? What are my options to um kind of piece together something that's not going to cause me too much pain but it was never like a hundred percent I was eating what my diet would be at home it was always like okay well there's soy in this but I'm gonna have to deal with it because there's not a lot of options here um and then also with you know not having a whole lot of prep beforehand um I honestly wouldn't recommend sending any resupply boxes for the AT you could definitely do it uh on the go but but yeah, that was a big part was that, you know, knowing that I didn't have like my beans and rice dehydrated meals like I could on my other trails. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was really just like trial and error. Um, but luckily I had hiked about 1800 miles um, two months before I went on trail. So my body was kind of in the rhythm. And I think that really helped me out because uh, usually at the start of a through hike, I, I do have um, just a lot of inflammation as my body tries to get through uh, and used to the amount of physical activity I'm doing and the diet that I'm choosing. So yeah, that was a big part. And with this, you were averaging 25 miles a day. Cause as you said, you, you had those days where you were off trail and probably a few more days off trail than a traditional, we'll say a traditional hiker might have somebody that's not dealing with the, the conditions you were hiking with. Um, were there days where you just felt your, your, your physical body and mentally struggling to push on? So that was, it's such a big thing because I, I loved my hike. Um, but because of that time constraint and because of, you know, needing to push miles every day, no matter what, um, my only zeros really that I took were due to my period. So my days off, my zero days where most people would, you know, chill, hang out, those were days that I was in fetal position. So my zero days were not restful. And then the next day I'm like, well, I can't take two days off, you know, because then I'll have to make up like, you know, X amount of miles. And, and when you're already doing like 20, 25 miles a day, if you have to make up another 25 miles, I mean, you're, you're pushing, you're getting into those higher numbers every time. So um, yeah, it was, it was really tough because that was the only days that I would allow myself to rest was the days that I was in so much pain. I physically couldn't walk. So that, that was um, most of my, my zero days on trail were, um, were because of my period. And that's something that I just had to plan around and knew that was coming. Um, and I had a lot time for it. Um, I never knew how bad it was going to be or how long it was going to last, but, uh, usually by the second day, uh, I'm in so much pain that I can't function. Um, and then by day three or four, it just gradually kind of gets more tolerable, I would say. But, um, but yeah, that, that was just, I think one of the biggest mental taxes on me this year was, uh, yeah, like I said, like not being able to let off the gas, really not being able to say, okay, I hurt. And I want to take a break. Um, on this trail, I had multiple injuries that I probably should have gotten off trail for. Um, I believe I sprained my wrist. Um, I dislocated both of these thumbs. 
um, to where I had to pop this guy back in the socket. Um, I broke my pinky toe. I mean, just destroyed it um, two or three weeks before I got on trail. So I was dealing with a broken pinky toe for most of the start of it. And then by the end of it, um, I'm pretty sure I rebroke it in Pennsylvania. So I was dealing with just like a whole lot of other things, but it's, it's bad when I say this, it sounds bad, but some, sometimes I was kind of grateful to have another pain to focus on. I was like, oh, well, this makes this other pain not feel so bad. So yeah. yeah. It amazes me how that little toe can cause so much pain. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? <laughs> I, I know. I, and it, and it was, I mean, we called it lovingly my olive because it was like round and purple and green and it was all kinds of stuff. But I mean, yeah. And it's those, that's kind of the best way I would say if someone wants to kind of try to put themselves in my shoes of what it's like, just pretend you have a broken pinky toe to where it's not actually impacting. Like you can still walk, but you feel it every time. So that's kind of what living like with chronic pain is like, like it's, it's there. You can function through it most of the time. I'll say most of the time, but, but it's every step you, you, it's in there, you know, you're, you're feeling it, you're noticing it. So I try to be good to my body as much as I can, but I was like, body, please just, just make it to the end and then we'll rest. But, you know, just a little bit longer. And I, I told myself that for like a thousand miles, just a little bit longer, just a little bit longer. Um, I was actually only ever going to hike to Quebec. That was my original goal. But when I had gotten up to Quebec and I noticed, hey, I don't think anyone's done this other part. Uh, that's when I changed my mind. But, you know, when I was going through Maine, I wanted to quit at the border. And then I got at the border and I was like, well, I'm at the border. I might as well get to Quebec. And then I got to Quebec and I was like, what's 800 more miles? I've already hiked this many that. miles, right? Yeah, I've so, already hiked this many. Why not? <laughs> uh, and it was one of those things where I'm like, I don't think I'd come back. Actually, I, I would visit. I would love to visit again. But I, I'm like, I, I'm not going to get the opportunity to be right here right now in my current um, level of, of fit. So I just need to go for it. And I'll figure out how to make it happen. Um, luckily I was able to meet up with trucker who I had met in Florida and hiked, I think to the Shandies with actually, and then another hiker peg leg. So I didn't have to be alone anymore, but basically from New Jersey to Canada, I was completely solo for almost all of that. I think I camped with someone, maybe a couple, a couple of nights. Um, but yeah, it was it was it was definitely tough but it, like as soon as i had friends and as soon as we were there i was like let's keep going you know it's weird camping in a camp area by yourself i've had that feeling right when you're the only person at a campsite and i have said this before every little sound you hear feels like it's like a monster bear outside your tent it's uh everything oh, yeah. start every bad scenario starts running through your mind <laughs> Oh yeah. Um, I'm usually, this is kind of a, a gear change, big gear change for me. I'm usually a tarper. I've done all of my miles prior to this hike in a tarp with a tarp. Um, so with a tarp, like, I don't know why I feel safer because I can just look underneath my tarp and, and, you know, I can see it was almost scarier this year because I switched to, you know, I was like halfway through Florida and the mosquitoes were atrocious. I mean, there was just no escaping. And when you're in a tarp in a bivy, I mean, that <laughs> you you can't be horizontal with like a thousand bugs in front of you. So I switched to uh, Gossamer Gears, the one I'm an ambassador for them. They sent me a tent and um, and I loved it. It was incredible. It felt like a palace after tarping, um, for so long, but yeah, I just hated that. Like I was enclosed and like, if there was a sound, I couldn't immediately like check it out or, you know, shine my flashlight without like getting out. Um, but yeah, I, it wasn't, it wasn't so scary. It was just the fact that once I got further North, um, my scariest solo stuff was just get, getting through those water crossings I mean those if anything broke me or almost broke me it was a handful of those water crossings because I was just completely alone and that's it's so scary because the water was going so fast and it was so high and 
you know, just like, what are my options here? Like hike back, wait for someone to show up or just, you know, st- like study it for like 30 minutes and figure out a way. But, um, but other than that, I felt, I felt pretty good, especially once I got into Canada, Canada just felt so safe to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Lola, I'd like to ask you this, you know, you were diagnosed at 27 years old. What would you say to a young woman who just maybe is experiencing similar symptoms to what you had and is getting the same treatment yes. from their doctors? What would you say to her? You say it's a 16, 17 so, or 18 year old. So my first thing is painful periods are not normal. If you're having pain that like physically keeps you from doing things that's not normal that's your first red flag if you're having periods that are heavy that you're changing you know things out really really often um that's not normal um it's really it's really weird because I was going through Florida in a weird political climate but there were there's kind of all these rules going around um trying to ban talking about periods in school and I've just I've never heard of a like a law that would be so detrimental to people with uteruses than that because that is why it took me until 27 because it's like a taboo thing to talk about and people are very shameful and I know like in my very Catholic Mexican family like you just say oh painful periods like runs in our family that's 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 a medical issue. Um, and people don't acknowledge that because women are just expected to function through things like that. And, um, you know, I, I might have a day where I'm, I'm literally feel like I'm dying and I can't call out of work every month. You know, I just can't. Um, so I would just say, if you're experiencing anything like that, um, don't stop, don't stop advocating for yourself because, Um, When I got my diagnosis, I actually was advised multiple times not to go through with surgery. Uh, I was, you know, just working one day, I was on my period, I was really like to the point where I couldn't stand up straight and I worked in retail at the time. So, you know, you're on your feet. And my coworker was like, do you have endo? And that was the first time I had even heard of it. And I was 27. And I had been dealing with painful periods to the point of where I would faint from losing so much blood. I would have to call out sick. Um, and that had been going on since the sixth grade. So for that to be an issue for so long in my life and for me to have gone to so many people saying, Hey, this is happening. And for no one to have even mentioned it, um, spoken about it, hadn't even heard of it. Um, that was a big thing for me. And I think that's why I'm so passionate now about, you know, advertising for it because hey this thing happens so many people are affected 10 percent of our population is affected and we're acting like oh don't talk about that that's gross or something like that so it's it's just it's very it's very difficult because when I do open up and talk about it it's tough to talk about and it's tough to hear about and some people get grossed out by it um some people just are like no, you know, don't bring that up, hide it, you know, and and it's just the culture, I guess. And that's definitely something I'm trying to change because it shouldn't have taken me until 27 to figure this out. They gave me an ultrasound and they were like, we don't see anything. So they told me I had chronic pelvic pain and that all I could do was take baby aspirin and get deep tissue uterine massages for the rest of my life. And I'm, I'm, I'm telling them, Hey, I have pain so bad that I am being debilitated. And that's all they told me. And so I was like, I think it's endo. I want a laparoscopy, which is a surgery where they go in and actually see what's going on. And they advised me against it multiple times. And I kept pushing for it. I said, I don't care. This is what I want. This is the only way that I know for sure that you can say yay or nay. And when they, opened me up they found lesions and gross of endo on my kidneys and my bladder and that's not something that had shown up before so it was kind of a bittersweet moment because I was like I knew it but now I have this thing that does kind of feel like a death sentence because there's no cure there's really nothing you can do about it you can 
cut it out like through excision surgery, but it does grow back often. Um, if you have a full hysterectomy, take out the whole uterus, endometriosis grows outside of the uterus. The characteristic is that it's all happening outside of where it's supposed to be. So that doesn't solve anything. And, you know, sometimes the advice is get pregnant and then you won't have to deal with your period or sometimes the pain gets better after you've had a child, you know, but it's just like, I, I don't personally plan on having children. And for that to be the only thing that kept being offered to me, it was just really annoying, um, really tough. So, uh, yeah, it, it's just been a big struggle. <laughs> Uh, you know, credit to you for talking about it because this whole idea, if we don't talk about something, it'll go away. Um, things will, you know, it, it's appalling, you know, because I don't yeah. want to turn this political, but you did go through Florida and there's like a pretty long list of things you're not allowed to talk about in Florida, even like by law yeah. now, I think. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, so, you know, if we don't talk about, um, you know, certain topics, what, what do we think? They're just not going to happen. It, 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 just makes me crazy. And, you know, just like I said, credit to you, it needs to be talked about because there could be some young girl out there being told the same nonsense you were hearing for years that has something yeah. that needs to be dealt yeah. with and needs to hear, okay, it's not in my head. This is not normal. Yeah, it, it was honestly a bit of a culture shock. I live in Denver and I have a very queer, like gay group of friends. I have a really safe bubble that I've created for myself here. Um, and I didn't have a safe bubble really anytime during this trail. Um, like as a person from Mexico, like I am lighter skin, maybe not as a parent to some people I'm from Mexico I, I speak fluent Spanish I was born there my family lives there like I have a green card like I'm as Mexican as you can get and um it was just kind of weird going through certain parts of the country that were just not um on the same level of you know community I guess is a better way to put it because I think if you do have people around you that kind of see you and, and it's visible you have a different level but um I, I experienced a lot of a lot of microaggressions and a lot of racism um a lot of sexism a lot of ageism on this trip that I hadn't really experienced on you know places like the Colorado Trail or the PCT um I mean there was like just flags I didn't agree with all throughout the state there was just a lot of places that you know it was my only place to resupply and there's you know a confederate flag hanging from the building kind of thing um you know a big popular stop on the florida trail is the 88 store but i heard some of the most racist things i've ever heard come out of someone's mouth there and and it was with the bartender you know so it was it was really tough just kind of navigating it and i was with um my cis male partner uh for for most of the keys to New Jersey. Um, so it, it felt kind of like I had a pass because I was straight passing. Um, but like, I, I don't know how they would have reacted if I was like, hey, by the way, I'm pansexual, you know? Or there's just a lot of moments where, especially when people, you know, and I'm not saying th these are bad people, like these are people that were helping me a lot of the time, but then not realizing what they were saying wasn't you know right so it was a lot of me kind of having to pick my battles and and say okay this is a moment where I will keep my mouth closed because I am a little bit of a social justice warrior and I'm quick to correct someone if it's not PC and um, language is very very important to me um, so there was a lot of times where I felt truly stifled like I couldn't be myself I couldn't really talk about who I was um, I had to just omit certain things with certain people. Um, and it it did kind of, I think that was around the time when I decided to stop posting on social media because I was, it's like one of those, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything. Um, I was just really processing everything I was experiencing um, and just trying to reflect uh, more so about why it was and what was happening and you know, normally I walk away from a through hike just being really rejuvenated um, and faith in humanity. And there was a lot of people that I met on trail and a lot of situations I was in during this hike that 
really challenged that. And, you know, thankfully the, the people that were truly just sent from, you know, like they, they were there to help. They were so eager. They were so kind. Um, so they're so generous, you know, and, and that far outweighed the, you know, the others, but it was a big part of my experience. Um, I had heard so many people say the Florida trail was one of their favorite trails. And I'm thinking, well, they're white men. Of course they had a great time where, you know, that that's the population that rules. So, um, I think footprints for change, uh, this year was, uh, the first black person to hike the Florida trail. Um, they were slightly ahead of me. So yeah, it, it was one of those things where I knew that I was, I was so grateful and I was so excited, but there was a lot of times where I just kind of had to check myself and kind of become my own safe space because the situations around me were kind of uncomfortable and not in a way that you can really say, like, how do you have a five minute conversation that changes how someone thinks so when you're just being offered, you know, like something quick. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's just kind of an impactful part of the experience. Just, um, something, I guess, just kind of more unique to someone that's just not, not a white man. And I come from a disposition. Oftentimes I'm a white middle-aged man. And I don't know what it's like to reach a summit or a trailhead and look around and say, I'm the only person that's blah, 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 right? Dot, yeah. dot, dot, right? Yeah. Because usually I'm surrounded by people who are very similar to me, have the same skin color, um, same religion. Same, I'm not going to say same beliefs because, well, you hike through the South. Um, yeah. <laughs> Oops, I'm not supposed to get political, but <laughs> um, so I think it's important that everybody hears this because there could be people out there that maybe just aren't thinking what they're saying could be offensive, you know, that um, maybe they don't mean it to be. But yeah, as a, a woman who your family immigrated here from Mexico, it, it had to, I could see it could be a bit irritating to hear that. I mean, I, okay, I, I've probably bitten a hole through my tongue over the years. So at my age, I just blurt these things out when I hear nonsense. But hey, you know, our families all got kicked out of countries or had to flee from countries or came here for better opportunities and had to struggle. Yeah. <laughs> what makes oh, what yeah. makes me so much better? <laughs> yeah, it, it's really tough. Um, I think that was not just uh, being on like a different schedule than everyone. Cause once I hit the AT, it was so wonderful to have hikers ag around again. Um, Cause there just wasn't a whole lot of people up until then. Um, but no one was really on the same kind of hike that I was. No one wanted to do the miles that I was. So it was just really like a solid, it's a lot of solitude on this hike. And with the added, you know, I'm kind of in the South I don't see people that look like me. I didn't realize how isolating that really felt until I had kind of a moment where I'm like, am I having fun? Is this a, you know, is this a good time? And that was in Florida. So, uh, you know, I was like, wow, like I still have 4,000 more miles to go. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of feeling all these things, but, um, but yeah, I think, I think it, it's hard not to get political sometimes because, you know, going through, state like Tennessee they're trying to pass things that are talking about you know everyone's trying to ban drag queens right now and people are being targeted in the queer and trans community and and being denied health care and women are being denied the right to their own bodies and I it was just also weird because you're like on trail so you're like a little bit unplugged but then when you plug back in you're like oh my gosh like what's happening to the world so it was it was really really tough and you know, I do, I do think that's um, why uh, myself and two others, uh, Sugar and Hazel, we we started a group this year. Well, Sugar had done it by herself last year, um, but we started a group this year called um, Trail Cuties, and the QT standing for Queer and Trans Hikers, um, and 
it's really exciting, but we're going to offer free one-on-one -on -one mentoring with any queer and trans um, people that want to get on trail and have never hiked before and just need that like first step. Because when I was first getting into backpacking, I couldn't have done it if I, like, I just couldn't have afforded the gear up front. Like I, I didn't really know where to go. Um, and if it wasn't for my friends lending me a tent and a pack and, and sharing their, you know, all trails things with me like it would have been really tough for me to like break into this community especially because I didn't know anyone that was like me you know um so we were kind of making it a point like if I want impact and I want to see change like I can make that change directly by directly helping at least one person um that wants to get outdoors and just doesn't know where to start so this is a really exciting thing. We have 15 slots, so we'll each take five. Um, between Sugar and Hazel, we have tens of thousands of miles between us. So it's it's going to be really fun. And it's talking about hiking with people from my community. Um, so there's just no sweat off my back to, to do something like that and, and you know, create the change that I want to see directly, you know. And I'm currently unemployed hopefully by the time the series will have something but you know I I just felt really powerless like there's so many causes and everyone wants you to donate and I'm broke so you know this is something that I can do with my time and my voice and my experiences that doesn't cost me a thing um so I'm really really excited about that but I'm I'm hoping the trail becomes just an overall more more friendly and diverse a place because a lot of people say well the trails for everyone the outdoors is for everyone but where where are the rest of the people you know <laughs> where are the people that look like me where are you know so trying to help people one-on-one -on -one, I mean it's not a huge change I'm not saving the world but it affects one person's lives and that that's going to be worth it to me that's great because you know, the cold, harsh reality here is people need to feel welcomed. And when you do, when you take you and your your friends or take on the endeavors you are, your group you're starting, you're you're spreading that net that, you know, yeah, you know, we are welcome and we can grow this community. So when we go out there, we don't have to experience that. And you're not the first to say this to me. I think it's really very easy for the majority of people, I'll just say, maybe, you know, I don't want to just say, hey, look, you know, racism doesn't exist, you know, and this doesn't exist. Oh, I don't have a problem with with gay people, right? That's a good one, right? Um, my my favorite thing is, you know, how can you identify a hobophobe? Well, I have a gay friend and I think they're great, you know, okay, well, you know, <laughs> right? Yeah. You know, from every hobophobe has at least one gay friend that's yeah. really nice. And the same thing with a racist. But the, the reality is people need to feel welcomed out there. And, you know, groups like what you're forming now, you're widening that net. And when we say that these trails, that these lands, because it's not just for hiking and biking, any any outdoor endeavors, I think we all benefit when it's diversified. We all do. Yeah. I benefit when I'm out there and meeting people from different backgrounds and different beliefs. I feel like I'm benefiting. I'm growing as a person. I'm learning about people that are different than I am. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you want, and you want that, you want to mix yeah. of people to, that bring different experiences and different things to the table too. Um, yeah. I mean, and, and it's, it's something small, but it's even on the AT, like I, if I could give anyone just any advice on how to be an ally, it's, it's really just starts with like, if you see something, say something, because, you know, in a couple of situations where I did have something that was said to me, um, you know, there were other people around and like, I would have loved for someone to have spoken for me um, because it's hard being the one that's pointing everything at, you know, it would have been nice to have someone say, Hey, um, what you said there, you know, like, it's funny you say that, or, um, you know, just in that moment, having the courage to speak up and, and, and recognize how, someone is making someone else uncomfortable and and then that's not just for race or sex like I mean as a woman on trail I there's men that have made me uncomfortable where I I'm just like wow I either have to hike until I can't see them anymore or you know but it's like a lot of the times in these situations there are people around there are people that see it um I had 
a friend I met this year uh, who was saying at AT Trail Days, she's a black woman, um, Dragonfly. She she was telling me that one of the hostel owners there had basically started screaming at her for for being on the side of the street, and like a ton of people saw it. At, like a lot of people saw it. I mean, it's Trail Days. Like <laughs> that town's not big, you know. If someone's screaming, you can hear it from the other side of the town. Um, and no one said anything. And she just said in that moment, she just felt so alone because she knew she didn't have anyone there to stick up for her. And sometimes those moments can be very scary, you know, and, and you have to choose between not aggravating it or escalating it or defending yourself. So, yeah, I think it's just important for, for, for diversity. So we have more people, you know, at the very least just kind of around to, to, to make you feel more comfortable. Um, and if, if you want to see that, there's just so many ways that you can do that. Um, just take, you know, take the time, take, take the time to get to know people and, and don't judge a book by its cover, but, um, definitely remember that we're all out here. We all have similar goals. Like we're all out here to enjoy the trail, um, and no one should really be able to take away from that with their crap, <laughs> you know. To get back to this, anybody that thinks that racism isn't going on or any kind of bias against oh, the, yeah. the underrepresented, pardon my language, needs to pull their head out of yeah. their ass. I've heard that so many times. Well, I the trail community is one of, you know, I, I've heard that so many times. And it's really tough because the people who are saying it are very well-intentioned, but it's not a magical place where you transport to and all of the outside things. Like, unfortunately, you are still very connected, and especially like a place on the AT. You're going through a lot of towns. You're experiencing a lot more society um, and a lot more day hikers and a lot more, uh, I guess, situations. But um, I've heard that a million times, and the people that say that are just kind of ignoring the struggles that are happening because they are happening whether or not you see them you know whether or not you call them out but um it could be something so little like you know I had a trail angel say oh you're Mexican but you're not full Mexican right (laughs) and when I shared that story with dragonfly dragonfly was like that's so weird like I got the same thing someone asked me like you're black but you're not full black right you're mixed (laughs) or you're and it's like I'm sorry I didn't bring my sombrero on this hike. You know, it didn't fit in my pack. But what does a Mexican look like to you? What does, uh, you know, it, it's just so weird. But in that moment, it's like, uh, so this person's kind of doing me a solid. Do I call it out? Do I make the situation uncomfortable? Do, you know, and it's, and it's having to choose those like little battles every time that, that's really exhausting and that's why it's really nice when there's someone there to be like yo that's that's kind of you know mm-hmm. kind of dicey like you, you probably shouldn't say it that way um it's just it's nice to know that you're that you, someone has your back really yeah, and i think it's up to the people like myself for example maybe to put our foot down because you, you know you point out yeah you look you're there by yourself you speak up you don't know who you're surrounded by and how that might end yeah yeah um i think i think that uh one of my one of my favorite memories so far was going through maine i didn't realize if you're familiar with black lashing he has a youtube and he has a big following but um he has a homestead called zion north in maine and it was kind of off trail for me so i hit him up and i was like hey i need a place to stay tonight i don't want to sleep on the side of the road um, and he took me in and then just coincidentally, he was hosting, um, another black hiker named Akuna and, um, who was going to do the AT again. And while we were kind of swapping stories, we were just, I realized like how similar the struggles that I was expressing about being a woman on trail were to their experiences of being a person of color on trail. Like I was telling um, Akuna, like some of the safety measures that I would take. And he says, that's, you know, so weird. Like that's, that's exactly what I have to do when I'm in like certain places. So it, it's interesting to hear that so many of us have these shared experiences, whether, and just from being minorities period um, on trail. And 
and it, it just really like it was so nice to hear that I wasn't being sensitive or that I wasn't you know taking things per- like it like what was said was said and you know and just being able to have that validation from other hikers as well who are people of color and um just hearing their stories feel so similar to mine was really was really jarring because I'm like oh okay so this isn't just a problem for me like this this is actually like a universal experience almost that uh, minorities on trail will, will kind of face so yeah you weren't I mean, you weren't it's... feeling like you were being oversensitive or taking things out of context it was like okay so this is really happening yeah yeah well, Lolo, you mentioned earlier the your group it's cuties is that the name trail cuties trail yeah cuties. okay you have an event coming up soon it'll be I'd probably soon after yeah. this episode will air but you so want to right tell us now, about it? Yeah, we're taking applications. Uh, we're mostly looking for people who are really fresh um, because part of this is trying to remove as many barriers as possible for people. Um, we just got Sawyer to commit to, to getting 15 water filters and small things like that. Um, Gossamer Gear has like community impact projects. I'm going to make this part of my project. So hopefully I can get some more gear. Um, but really just trying to take down those barriers uh, as with just getting someone from zero to ready to, you know, go out there and do whatever hike they're, they're going for. But um, our deadline for ap- uh, applications is December 3rd. Um, so if anyone wants to check it out, it's at trail cuties on Instagram as well. And you can find the application there or on, on my page. We'll make sure we put a link to that in the description for this episode. Uh, and that's that's great because the people who are out there knocking down these barriers, you're my heroes. We need to <laughs> knock down these barriers. And that's what you and Trail Cuties are doing. Take the barriers down. Let's make the outdoors truly for everybody so we can all experience it and enjoy it together. Amen. <laughs> Any upcoming adventures, Lola, beyond Trail Cuties? Yeah, so right now, um, you know, I was gone for about 10 months. I absolutely drained all my savings um, doing those extra couple miles. So right now I'm just kind of looking at a transition from living as a through hiker for most of the year and then coming back and having to incorporate myself back into society so I don't have really any immediate plans um the triple crown is on my list I I don't know why I'm like this but the ECT was my first long trail other than that I had hiked um the Colorado Trail I had yo-yoed that twice in 2020 and then in 2022 last year um I've done the Arizona Trail I've done um just under a thousand miles of the PCT in California Um, and I have some unfinished business on the PCT, uh, you know, the Colorado trail overlaps with the continental divide trail. So like, I really want to be on either of those two, the CDT or the PCT this upcoming year. Um, but I have just a couple of months to get my finances to the point where I feel comfortable leaving again. So right now I'm just going to focus on my passion projects and just kind of trying to find a hustle. Um, if anyone's hiring, <laughs> uh, by the time this is out, but, but yeah, right now it's just kind of weird being back. I've only been home really a handful of days. It's been about three weeks, but I've been actually traveling and running around since. So, um, I'm like, my body's just now getting back into the rhythm of, you know, like I was on a Canada time, which is three hours ahead of where I am. So I was waking up every day at like 3 a.m. My body's like, all right, let's go get miles. And then we do nothing. So um, so yeah, right now it's really just focusing on healing. I had a lot of issues um with my knees that I'm kind of trying to heal up and strengthen. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm hoping, you know, that I by some miracle have the funds to swing another big through. But um, if this year just means you know, buckling down and stacking paper again, then um, I'm going to just try to stay as involved in the trail community as I can. Because post-trail depression after something like this, it has not been fun. I mean, I feel it. My body is just like, what's going on? Yeah. So it's a real yeah, thing, this... right? A lot of, I've interviewed a number of through hikers and yes, it's a real thing that people go through. 
Um, yeah, I mean, I wake up in the morning and I'm like, man, I'd usually have about 10 miles in right. and I've, you know, had breakfast. That's all I've done today. So yeah, it, it'll, it'll be fun. Yeah. You're sitting at a table eating a breakfast instead of on a rock or, or, or oh my a gosh. <laughs> Uh, having hot food again has been so nice. I, I've never in all of my miles, I'm about 9,500 miles deep through hiking miles. And I have been a cold soaker for all of them. So I think my number one thing right now is just having like food. I filled my, I refilled my dish soap yesterday and I don't know why that was just like such a weird, like, oh, I have a bottle of dish soap and then I have a backup thing of dish soap that I re and it just was like, wait, I'm here long enough to have that um so I mean I look down sometimes fully expecting to see my ultras and then I'm wearing like my vans or something and I'm like those are my feet <laughs> um yeah it's been it's been pretty shocking a weird adjustment but anyone dealing with post-trail depressy I know a lot of us are dealing with it right now um you know the outdoors isn't going anywhere just get outside as much as you can get as much sun as you can you know be good about your diet and stay a little bit active um, and then most importantly, keep in touch with that community. The community will save you. The community is everything. So as much as you can just kind of keep in touch with those friends that you made, the people that helped you, like, it's going to be a lot better for you. How can we follow you, Lola? If we want to, anybody wants to go to social media and see some of your photos or follow your activities? Yeah. So you can find me at Radiate Low Love. And my Instagram handle, um, or you can check out Trail Cuties at Trail Q, the letter Q and the letter T S. Um, you can find me on either of those. I'm right now kind of sifting through how much social media I want to do, but I do plan on doing a lot of gear reviews soon now that I'm back home and have my ring light. <laughs> and um, I got some good stuff coming, just, uh, just a matter of kind of I guess, sorting through, I have thousands and thousands of photos. So I'm um, just kind of sorting through that. But um, anyone that has questions about endometriosis, uh, curious about through hiking, I always message back. I always respond. So anyone's definitely welcome to reach out to me. I've had friends send me other profiles and be like, hey, my friend's having really similar period issues to you. Do you mind if, you know, I link y'all? And I'm always happy to do that. So Really, really open book. All right. And, and that too will be in the description for this episode. Lolo Sparkle Velez, thank you so much <laughs> for sharing all this with us. Uh, this has been great and enlightening. And I can't emphasize enough how important it is that you're sharing this information with everyone. This is really, really important work you're doing. And thank you so much for coming on here and sharing it. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great. <laughs> Everybody get outside, have some fun. It's getting cold out there. Stay warm and do your best to be safe. Thanks for listening. If you haven't done so yet, go to our website, palmabearhikes.com. Listen to past episodes. Check us out on social media. Go to our YouTube channel, Martin Outside. All those links are there. In addition to that, you can buy our book or see what you're missing out on if you're not a Patreon member yet. Remember to get outside, have fun, and be safe. This episode of Pop Bear Hikes has been brought to you by Avalon Publicity. Avalon Publicity, increasing the digital footprint of content creators and skilled professionals via website development and social media services. For more information about Avalon Publicity, go to their website, avalonbusiness.org. That's avalonbusiness.org.